Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adadana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Now I don't know why, what our words really are. It's okay. We'll make them up. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying. On episode three of the Africana podcast, we talked to Nanjira Sambuli about the internet, Kenya, and policy. We also share our mountain climbing experiences, move on to the Nigerian with nine lives. We get into hashtag Black Lives Matter, followed by Tuko Macho, and finally close it out with the Africana proverb of the week. All right, episode three. We made it. High five. Ah, this is getting more and more real each week. Thank you to it's everyone. It's a thing now. It, it is a thing. It is a thing. A two, a two episode worth of a thing, but about to be episode three worth of a thing. <laughs> but thanks to everyone again for listening and tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. And let's get started. So, Namusa, have you been since episode two dropped? Good, actually. Last weekend, I climbed Mount Satima. For our listeners who don't know, Mount Satima is in the Aberdare Range, Mm -hmm. um, so central Kenya. Let's just say I will never climb that mountain again, and I'm really happy (laughs) that I don't have to see Mount Satima again. That sounds like my feelings toward Mount Longanot. Never again. Never. Never again. Never again. Never again. Uh I've done Longanot twice, so I think it's also really interesting that I'm saying never again. I did um, it twice. Okay. I did it twice, yeah. Satima only once. And so why was it such a struggle? Oh, good question. Where to start, really? Uh, the friend that I was hiking with, she cut her finger. So oh. even before we got out of the land cruiser, it started to bleed. <laughs> so that's that's how the morning started off. 5 a.m. starts, you know, like these hiking... Nice omen. Yeah, we're just up early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so finger cut... Then we get separated from our gear because our land cruiser can't make it up to the gate. And so what's happening is we get out, we walk a little bit, and then with all the weight out of the land cruiser, then it has enough power to get up the hill. Except until it didn't. So we walked all the <laughs> way to the base point uh-huh. um, with no water. I was in a t-shirt, uh, no food, and most importantly, no rain gear. Oh, Yeah, so once we finally met the other group, at the base, because they had gone up ahead of us. Four hours we hiked from there. Which was fine, because the weather was, like, really wonderful. Until we started to come back down. That's the thing about mountains. (laughs) You get up, but you have to come back down. Yeah, that is true. I have never seen it hail in my life on the continent. I know it exists. I feel like it's an urban legend. The skies literally opened up. I've seen it in Ethiopia, hail. Okay. It's a thing. It happens. stressful because hail is not only painful but it then turns into wet and because we didn't have our rain jackets because they got left in the land cruiser it was one of those moments where literally every other word was profanity in my head and then every word after that was like seeking grace from the man above (laughs) so why climb mount satima i don't know if i'm the right person to do promo for mount satima tourism Um, no i mean like why did you decide to climb mount satima I like the feeling of really pushing yourself mentally and physically, and mm-hmm. mountains do that for me. Okay. So I climbed Mount Kenya last year, had the exact same feeling of I might die, and then you don't, and you feel like you can do anything in life. So it's really just like self-torture. Okay. Are you planning on climbing anything else in the future? I am. I'm planning on climbing Kilimanjaro, I think in February. Right. Yeah. Mount Keeley. Well done. Would you be up for that? Uh, so I've always said, and by always, I mean, like, since I moved here, so about two years, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's right next door. I mean, relatively speaking. And yeah, I should totally do it while I live here. But I just haven't really actively trained for it. So I feel like I have to do Bone Hills, Mount Lomanot, Mount Kenya, Mount Satima, that kind of thing. But yeah, I do want to do it. I'm not sure when. I do want to do it, though. But it could be a live episode from Kilimanjaro. Just saying. That could be really cool. That would be wonderful. All right. And then we can, like, hang an Africana flag. At the top? At the top. Conquering At Uhuru, of... Uhuru Peak? Yeah. But not like in a colonialism way. Well, maybe a little bit. Mm, fair. Okay. Podcast colonialism. The <laughs> only kind of colonialism. That <laughs> the best kind. Yeah, really. exactly. <laughs> How was uh, your last two weeks? <sighs> it was good. It was good. No major complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing terribly out of the ordinary. 
Well, actually, well, a bit of news recently that I really got excited by that I just saw the other day is that we have an Ethiopian-American representing Team USA on the women's soccer team uh, for the Under-17 World Cup. Yeah. It's in Jordan, happening in Jordan at the moment. Her name is Naomi Gurma. Shout out to you, Naomi. Yeah, I retweeted at her. I was like, I don't know you, but I'm so proud. (laughs) And we could be related. (laughs) And you could probably be my cousin. For a second, third, or fourth cousin. Uh, yeah, so she's going to be at the World Cup, and after that she's committed to playing soccer or football, depending on... Where you are in the world. Where you are in the world. Uh, for Stanford University in the fall. That's so, wonderful. Yeah, so super excited for her, and I'm wishing Team USA all the best, especially her, because we're family. You would say that, though. Uh-huh. I feel like American diaspora folks, yeah. everything comes back to, like, <laughs> America the Great. I didn't say that. I said oh, Naomi oh, oh. the Great. Naomi the Great. Okay. I'm rooting for Naomi. I think it's really cool. You know, you don't see very many stories about Ethiopians necessarily. You know, Nigerians are always in the news. Ghanaians are always in the news. So it's nice to see, besides the weekend, the beginnings of the Habesha takeover, which I appreciate. Yeah, no, the weekend has been really making it lit for you guys. I know. In terms of Habesha takeover. But he, now he cut his hair, so I'm wondering if it's going to be like a Samson, Ooh, Delilah thing. I like, haven't seen him. Now it's the new album, the new look, so I'm wondering, was all of that in the dreads? But we'll see. It 100% was all in the dreads, but <laughs> time will tell. Oh, we'll see. He has a new single with Daft Punk, and that can't be bad, because Daft Punk is really good, so. Let's, let's wait. Let's wait and see. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm excited for it. But yeah, so go her, and some people might not know, actually, that Ethiopian, there's a pretty big Ethiopian soccer fo- football community in the U.S. Um, there's tournaments that travel from one Ethiopian hub to the other, D.C., Dallas, Seattle, and it's a really big meeting point for the diaspora, so actually her start in soccer was a bit of being involved in some soccer games that her dad used to organize for the community, so it's a really cool story. That's so awesome. Go Naomi! Woo-woo! Beep, So you know what else is really awesome that happened in the last two weeks, and I could not be prouder. Obviously, this is, again, we're being a little bit Kenya-centric, but... Oops. Oops. Sorry, (laughs) not sorry. Uh, Tuko Macho. Yeah, I'm proud of them too. Yeah, just was represented at TIFF. Um, So that's the Toronto International Film Festival. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like two of my favorite cities merging into one. Your worlds collide. Yeah, so Toronto and Nairobi. Kind of like when Beyonce decided to be a tech investor like all your favorite things it, that is I, I'm thinking about leaving my life and going to work for Beyonce because she will need an Africa chapter let's be real honest yeah if she wants to be a part of the Silicon Savannah stay tuned for more on that with our guest <laughs> but yeah go her anyway back to you sorry Tukumacho yeah so just Tukumacho is it, it's incredible and the exposure and it's really neat in that um, it's set up in a way whereby the audience decides if somebody is guilty or not guilty so, so talk about maybe the plot and what it's about Essentially, the plot is based on this idea of security, and security is something that we're all very conscious of in Kenya. And so what the directors and producers of Tukumacho decided to do was walk through different scenarios. It's a web series. Walk through different scenarios around security violations. So every episode is slightly different. But at the end of the episode, you get to decide, should this person be, like, should they face justice or not? Well, I think also justice in this case is the fact that the premise is there is a group of vigilante exactly that are like superheroes that are exactly that are targeting criminals and taking them to task and putting them up online, mm-hmm. and now they have to make a case for whether they live or die. Yeah, and that's a really interesting mirror to kind of some of the conversations that happen in Nairobi in terms of rule of law and institutions and justice and police and criminal behavior and it's a great concept it's brilliant and, and interactive yeah. and speaks to a lot of what people are talking about and going through on a day-to-day basis so go them i'm proud of them and we're really really lucky that the director gives us his thoughts and experiences on tiff and a little bit more about Tukomacho. so have a listen here this is jim chuchu of the nest collective speaking briefly about Tukomacho and tiff Tukomacho is swahili for we are watching and it's the name of a web series by the Nest Collective. It's about a gang who sets out to capture criminals in Nairobi, and they then present these criminals to the public via an online video and ask the public to vote whether the criminals are guilty or not guilty. We started working on Tukomacho in 2015. It was a big challenge for us. It was our biggest production ever with the largest cast and the longest shoot days, and it was uh, quite an adventure to make it. We eventually put it out in June of 2016, and we decided to put it out on Facebook because we felt like 
Facebook is where most Kenyans are and Facebook is designed for conversation. So we felt like it would allow us to have a, a conversation with our audience rather than just putting it out and not hearing back from the audience. Uh, so far, we have put out 10 episodes and the response has been amazing. And it's been interesting to hear back from the audience uh, with their feedback and, and their questions and their and their thoughts on what we are covering in the episodes. It's created interesting conversations about how culture and the arts can respond to social uh, realities. Tukomacho was invited to screen at the Toronto International Film Festival this year as part of the primetime program, which they describe as being a showcase of the best of international TV. It was a big surprise for us to be invited because uh, when we created Tukomacho, we never imagined that an international festival would be interested in it. It was great to be back to TIFF. The last time we were there was 2014 with our first feature film, Stories of Our Lives. And it was good to be back in Toronto. The most interesting thing for us was uh, watching the series with an audience because usually we upload it online and we don't get to see how the audience reacts to it. So it was cool to sit in a cinema and watch people watching Tukomacho. The idea of the presentation at TIFF was to screen episode one and let the cinema audience vote on whether the criminal presented in episode one was guilty or not guilty. Depending on the vote, then they got to watch different versions of episode two. The first audience voted guilty, which was a surprise because we thought that Canadians uh, would be much more lenient than Kenyans. We always imagined that the reality of living in Nairobi would make people less lenient about these things. But anyway, they, they voted guilty, and that was an interesting conversation. Uh, the second audience voted not guilty, and then it was also interesting to, to explore why they voted differently from the first audience. It was interesting to discover that you can make something so specific for Kenyans and that somehow there are still universal ideas within the series that, that appeal to a global audience. Uh, and so we are back in the city and continuing with the series. We are now on episode 11 this week and we have about two more episodes to the final episode and we're looking forward to how it all pans out. Go to the Macho team because we know there's a whole team behind it. Which is the next collective. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's more than just you know the voice that you've heard today. So congrats to the cast, to the crew. Well done and we can't wait to watch more. Yeah, and support. It's just incredible what's come out of the Nairobi film scene in the last couple of years. <laughs> And unfortunately, another thing that happened relatively recently that's... Uh, you love hate the bad news. Like, you say I don't, you don't like it, but you're I, always the first person putting your hand up when we're talking about... I know. It's because I care, but I maybe shouldn't. It, I would have less gray hair. No chills, no feels. So, unfortunately... Well, how do I... Where to begin? Uh, so, Alfred Olongo is unfortunately the latest hashtag associated with the Black Lives Matter movement and the epidemic of brutality and murder of young black men and women by police in the United States. He was 38 years old, originally from Uganda, and he was killed in El Cajon, California by the police. His sister called 911 when she noticed that he was acting erratically. Whether it was due to a medical or a mental health issue was uncertain, but he was holding a vape pen and he aimed it at officers and they ended up uh, killing him. And it shows that, you know, this Black Lives Matter movement really cuts through the diaspora as well. And there's a lot of conversations, there's been a lot of misunderstandings and assumptions made both ways, both about Africans in the United States, about African Americans, and African Americans in the United States, about Africans who are in the U.S. Yeah. So this really just goes to show you how much more we have in common in terms of some of the struggles that we face. And it's just a really awful story. And it's yet another hashtag that we watch from here. And we're not quite sure what to do being so far from home. But I mean, it's a really mentally taxing thing to see these protests, um, not the protests, but necessarily see what's happening and repeatedly. The, and it doesn't seem to change yeah. Like no matter, you know, oh, well, he was a bad guy or oh, he was no angel or oh, he shouldn't have. Like, there's no perfect victim. Like, no one is ever going to be, you know, the best, you know, what's the word to say? Like, no one's ever going to be good enough to have not deserved it there's always something when they're black so it's just really unfortunate and i mean honestly it's just i guess a matter of time before you know black lives matter kind of hits the continent in this way um and there have been black lives matter protests in south africa so it's not to say that 
it hasn't connected here before, but I think seeing a Ugandan national um, it, you know, killed in this way just goes to show that unfortunately we have way more in common um, than we think. Yeah. And now, Africa rising. Africa rising. Woo woo. This time you're saying that I was negative, but I actually have the Africa rising portion. You're about to flip this story around so like I'm a good that, lace front. Tur wow. Ah, turn, I went there. That, <laughs> turn that frown upside down at the risk of sounding trite. Um, but a bit of good news on the continent. Um, although there are some, I guess, consequences. So even if I do give the Africa rising story, it's, it could never truly just be rising. But in any case, Kenya will no longer receive financial assistance from the Netherlands beginning in 2020 due to, quote, significant economic growth that has turned Kenya into a middle-income country. And so the Netherlands is also cutting aid to Ghana and Indonesia because they have both now reached middle income status. So I have questions. I'm sure you do. But first, let me get into what the Netherlands actually does currently with funds at the moment, and then we'll talk through it. So it go, money goes to food security, governance, human rights, improvement of business climate, environmental conservation, sanitation, and culture and sports. So yeah, there you have it. Netherlands is saying you now have enough money and they've decided, and actually their minister who made this announcement in parliament said that the money is now going to the lesser developed countries or the needier countries that, um, or the countries that need it most. And thus Kenya, Ghana, and Indonesia are now going to be cut off the list. What are your thoughts, Namisa? You don't seem to be so thrilled. <laughs> yeah, my face right now for the listeners is like, yes, completely unimpressed emoji. Okay. Why are you unimpressed? Well, okay. Kind of the first part of that is how is middle income defined? Well, because I think yeah. what's really true of Kenya currently is there's such division in terms of access and class, right? And so in a previous episode, we've talked about Africa rising and the whole idea of middle income, but that's such a huge demographic of people. And so what are those metrics to measure that? Because while there are people who have quite a bit of wealth in Kenya, that doesn't mean that it's equally distributed. And there are still a lot of very underserved areas, especially in rural communities, that I don't think that this policy fully addresses or takes. So hard. their assessment of middle income is GDP. And so Kenya has hit a threshold for them in terms of GDP numbers, which is how they made that call. Yeah, but we all know that GDP is an average. Yeah. But. So if you have eight people who are very, very, very wealthy mm -hmm. and a hundred people who aren't, you can still have a higher GDP. That's true. I, I just, I, I think what I'm asking for is like more nuanced understandings. I also have thoughts on development and aid and the Dambisa Moyo argument. So I just think it's a little bit more complex and I'm curious as to what will what will happen next? Yeah, what will happen next? And what does that mean for historical relations between Kenya and the Dutch government? Does that also mean, like, does any of that go into military spending well, yeah, they said, or trade? So the Dutch Minister of Foreign Trade and Development Cooperation, when she made this announcement to their parliament in the Netherlands, she said that Kenya and the Netherlands will purely become trade partners after the fact. So tea, roses, whatever else it is that will be traded. But does that maybe just mean that the rich get richer? But then again, I mean, at a certain point, aid has to stop, right? In theory. I mean, isn't the point that you want to stop aid? In theory, but let's, like, we've been saying this for how many years now? But you can say it for a while, but at some point, the plug has to get pulled. Yeah, but you can't just pull the plug and then expect it not to bleed out. Well, it's also four years away. So it's not as if they're saying, tomorrow, you get no money at all. There's a four-year heads up, and... It's very difficult because on the one hand, you complain about, not you, you, I mean, generally you, you know, we're unhappy about money coming in and where that money goes. And then when it goes, then it's like, oh, but is it ready to go? You know what I mean? We can't have it both ways. So at a certain point, it has to stop. They've decided 2020. And I think on the whole, it's a good thing. So now it's your turn to be negative. <laughs> to be Debbie Downer. Woo woo. I'm so excited. <laughs> It's funny that you're excited about me not sharing happy news. But <laughs> I'm just happy it's not me. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> so uh, my Africa is still rising this mm -hmm. week, which has happened in the last two weeks, is homie Abubakar Shakao. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, 
but I'm sure our Nigerian brothers and sisters will help me out. This guy has evaded death or has been reportedly killed. Let me count the years. In 2009, 2013, 2014, and apparently up until sometime over the last two weeks. And so who is this person? So, yes. So so who Abu Bakar Shakao is? He has a super recognizable face because he's all over BBC, and he's the head of Boko Haram. That's the militant group in northern Nigeria that I think most of our listeners would know or have the context of he led the hundreds of girls that were kidnapped and taken out across the border. And that's kind of the whole campaign around Bring Back Our Girls, which was really, really big over the last two years. And so I know there was the whole thing about Kony, but like they found Osama and like we can find everybody. Although, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, I know. Conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, depending on who you're talking to. But I'm just like, <laughs> this has to stop. Although I'm a big believer in like you cut off the snake's head and it grow, that old adage. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that he's the only person that we need to deal with in terms of, and I'm not saying exterminate. I think he should be tried and imprisoned for his crimes. But people can just run amok. And I don't feel like you have that in the same way where people just disappear and can have... Nine what, lives? L- literally nine lives. Yeah. And I think that's something that if... Governance was stronger, and I think if a lot of governments got together, mm-hmm. like, why isn't there a no-fly list for specific terrorists within the continent or people who are deemed terrorists? And I guess it's complicated, and because a lot of heads of states have been charged or allegedly charged with crimes against humanity, et cetera, et cetera. I just think this is our still rising. We can be doing better at either community reporting of where people are or all the way up to a higher level of the government trying people and imprisoning them. Well, I mean, it also took the United States a pretty long time to find Osama bin Laden. So it's not as if like these are easy operations to... Of course, and there's funding. Maybe in 2017, if we could just put a little bit of effort into dealing with, in quotes, the bad guys. Are you saying that they're not putting an effort now? How long did it take them to bring back our girls, in quotes? It hasn't happened yet. Yes. Well, one or two, I believe, have been found or were rescued or escaped. <sighs> I don't know. It's a really sad situation. Yes. I'm trying... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I am not in those positions of power, so I can't imagine the types of decisions making at that. (laughs) Yet. Okay. Strokes ego. (laughs) Uh, I I can only imagine. I mean, that's... That's hard. Yeah. Why we're still rising. I mean, there's all. I mean, there's also been a lot of coordination with Chad with Cameroon. So it's yeah. not to say that. I'm know, not, no, no, no. I'm not saying that people aren't doing anything. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think a lot of people are very actively pushing. Mm-hmm. But I also think, like, really, how many lives do you have? Well, he has quite a few, unfortunately. Womp womp. So for our very first ever guest house, we <laughs> have. <laughs> it's a moment it's a first yeah for a very 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 first ever guest host we have the one and only uh, Nanjira Sambuli who amongst many wonderful things happens to be our first bots lady interview and we can't wait what up (laughs) thanks for coming on anytime ladies so tell us a bit about yourself what do you do what are you passionate about and why does it matter Wow. Um, so we're starting with the softball, <laughs> softball questions. Who am I? I think I just watched FIFA Vendetta yesterday, so it's going to go in the hole. But who is a function of what and what is that? <laughs> <Okay. Anyway. laughs> so I'm just a girl who's curious about things and lives curiously by being curious loudly. But that's just a nice and very shady way of saying <laughs> that, among other things, <laughs> I think about how tech is impacting society and especially looking at it from how tech impacted how we communicate, how we interact, how we all met. How about that? Um, Did we meet on the internet? It's very possible that okay. we've known each other more because of the internet. I followed you on Twitter before I met you. And I know a lot of people actually in my life right now, like closely, are yeah. people I met off of the internet. So, you know, I always say when Twitter needs a good testimonial, um, they can come. So shout out Twitter. Um, <laughs> thanks for the hookups. Look out for um, the sponsorship money. <laughs> you know. Um, so uh, that's where I found myself really thinking and doing stuff in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And so it's always been very difficult to just name it because... 
why I'm passionate about it is, yay, for once, no one can say they know exactly what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of an equalizer, and I like spaces where you're like, yeah, you don't know one on me, so you're not going to place me somewhere in a corner just to listen because I'm a young black African girl. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm going to talk and I'm going to talk loud because y'all don't know. So that's yeah. why I do what I do, and I guess that's how I've remained doing this from research to actually started off with digital strategy stuff to research and now to advocacy work and just why do what I do and why does it matter why does it matter Mm, wow I guess history will tell somebody write a book already Mm. Um, (laughs) um, I think it matters because for once it's one faction I think for me that's true about Africa rising is being at the forefront of telling how things are happening on our own terms. You know, everybody says, you know, the lion's learning to speak, that kind of thing. I'm a fusser baby. What up? <laughs> <laughs> that should be the name of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it's just really powerful to show up. And I think I see how people are embracing technology, especially from this part of the world. It's showing up and leaving our truths, leaving them out and nobody telling us how to do it and it's on our own terms and I think it really matters to contextualize it and so that before the next I don't know thing that's built for Africans comes it's hold up one whole goddamn minute this is not how we're seeing it on the ground mm-hmm. I think I was also I started realizing early on that so much of the books I read so many of the things that my curiosities were always from a perspective of somebody who's written about us from a sort of like either parachuting in and out perspective and us being Africans Africans Kenyans, women. Kenyans everyone women okay there's always somebody and I think if you do a Venn diagram and you're a young African woman, yeah. there's that intersection where everybody's... Actually, the only it's a very small space for you to talk about yourself. And to amplify your own voice, it's everybody talking about you and intervening on your behalf. You're not even in the room sometimes. And I think what technology has done is brought more women into the room, more mm-hmm. Africans into the room, more young people in the room. And so I think it really matters just to be able to say, okay, look, I can bring perspectives if where possible, amplifying what I see every day. Mm-hmm. And that's why 19 out of 24 hours I'm probably on the internet just absorbing stuff and laughing my head off because y'all Africans are awesome on the internet. Just shout out, we man. We sure are. <laughs> so true. So you have already alluded to that you got started in terms of doing digital strategy, mm-hmm. but maybe tell the listeners a little bit more about that journey. So how did you get started? Wow. Um, so I think it was my third or last year at campus at the University of Nairobi. And I'd already gone through campus knowing that whatever I was studying was definitely not, it was not going to do it as a vocation. Um, now that there's fintech and stuff. So I studied actuarial science, very loved it, but I was not going to go into backdoor insurance, calculating premiums and stuff. I was sure about that. So I was spending a lot of my days in university exploring. And so back then, I have to allude to this now. God damn it. I dabbled in music. Yeah, what does that mean? What does dabbling in music mean, Nedira? Like, I had a basketball, and I played, it was like a musical one. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in that exploring stuff, I was like, well, other than just singing in my room, let me sing somewhere else, and I was doing that. And around that time, used to have be part of a festival called Kinanda Arts Festival back in the day. Mm-hmm. And when we were setting that up, a way to create audiences and, and meet new people, just reach out to people yeah. through digital and Twitter, Facebook, and that kind of thing. And so around that, I started realizing what the potential was of these platforms to connect people and bring people together, people with shared interests and that kind of thing. And so that curiosity about that space just started morphing around that time. And, you know, the Silicon Savannah was being birthed inside Lion King soundtrack. Um, <laughs> opening soundtrack, to be more specific. <laughs> and somehow I, I knew people who were in the space, and so I ended up just going into iHub a lot and just seeing what was coming up. And so around then, I was like, okay, this is something. I was very loud, apparently, on the internet. And so some people started reaching out to me, like, you seem to see something here. And everybody was freaking out. And actually, my first gig, oddly enough, was in the UN. Mm. Um, like, um, helped, you know, I worked at UNEP, the environmental, back there was the environmental program. And, oh, my God, my work was to help communicate through digital platforms. But I had this Excel sheet that I'd have pre-approved tweets that I would go for. <laughs> <laughs> for like clearance before putting them out and so those were very interesting journeys and going through that and just realizing there's some thinking here that could be applied um, into what this could mean for our societies and so sort of left there and went into iHerb research Mm -hmm. specifically where I was asked to lead some research around how social media was going to impact the Kenyan election and so from designing that kind of research because at the time there's very little research actually globally about the role of digital media or social internet in communications and especially within the African context, if you will. And so it was the perfect challenge at the perfect time. 
just to think and formulate and design a program, a research and findings and see where you could place them. And so that's sort of like how I got immersed into it. I think to summarize it, it's really just there were curiosities, there weren't people, enough people to say no. Mm-hmm. So there weren't structures that had been formed to say, you know, oh, you need five years experience. Um, your experience was, do you think, do you tweet, boom. The original social media influencers, if you will, used to be called that back in the day. Shout out to the squad. Um, <laughs> Who else was part of that? I will not name names. Okay. Um, <laughs> you have to go back and look at well, the it was tweets. A good time. You know what? Like, honestly, I remember Kenyans on Twitter, 2009, 2010. It was such a community and it used mm-hmm. to translate from online to offline. Mm-hmm. There used to be this little bar we used to go to down in... It was called Secrets, I think it was called. Very year. appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, very appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> it was a community. And I mean, it's, I guess there are such communities, just small enough, but back then it felt like, you know, everyone's like a village and everyone meets at the village square mm. and the village square happened to be a watering hole, even better. <laughs> you know, Lion King, perfect. And so the lions were learning to speak. What's an apt metaphor now? Hmm. Mm. And so... I've just been very fortunate to have been at the forefront of something that people hadn't put structures in and to be able to just say, well, before somebody tells me, no, I'm going to try. And here I am still doing this on varied skills, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of Kenyans on Twitter, which you are a prolific member of. Shout out. uh, What is your favorite Kenyans on Twitter or KOT clapback of 2016 so far? You know, from the moment you sent me that question, I've been trying to think because there's so many, dude. Or do you have I a think top was, three? You, yeah, you can give us a top three or even recent memory if 2016 is Blanket, too like small if I was to give, box. If I, if I was to give overall, I think the man is Zix. Zix, as you call him, Uncle Zix. <laughs> and the clapbacks. That, no, and it's really like the clapbacks that he forces people. It's not even people you'd never expect to throw like a jab here, like people would otherwise be very cool about how they talk on the internet. That guy has been the common enemy. And so the clapbacks have been interesting in the sense that I think maybe we just need to give the listeners and, a little yeah. bit of context of who is Uncle Z. Anyway, Ezekiel <laughs> Mutori is an interesting character. It's like I think sometimes societies need a common enemy and that's been the guy. I think he's the chairman of the Kenya classification film classification, film classification. board. Mm-hmm. And being our resident troll. Question mark? Um, just <laughs> He's also petty. Petty man. That's a petty dude. Anyway, his entrance into the space that was Kenyans on Twitter has been really interesting insofar as the clapbacks he gets every time. And what that does, the very many divisions people are facing right now, you know, the times, elections are coming up and all that. But that's like the one guy, whatever he speaks, it doesn't matter. In fact, the best, the best of the best about him was when um, different communities were saying, you know, the, so he's from the Kamba community and they were like, we are hereby giving him up, <laughs> which community wants to take him on. And I think if I remember correctly, he was passed around to pretty much all the tribes and each tribe was like, nope, we have Pastanet, <laughs> nope, pass him on, on to the next. So, you know, that was really interesting. And I think it's not necessarily a clapback. It's just, he gave us an alternative way to even talk about tribe. Yeah. It was hella funny. But on a more serious one, because I think it always comes to the top of my mind, earlier this year, there was something called My Unkempt Hair, mm. back, I think it was in January, where um, one gentleman of the Feminist Policing Unit, I mm. call them, Twitter mm. Feminist Policing Unit, mm. felt that must dispense some piece of advice about how our girls got to do their natural hair, but, you know, we got to keep it nice and kempt sometimes. And just the clap back, and it was just all these beautiful women showing their beautiful hair, just saying, yeah, that's my unkempt hair, what up? Sorry, dude. And I think it was just claiming spaces. I'm, I'm here for people who are claiming spaces and yeah. clapping back with style and swag. And somebody else was like, thank you, sir. We have now seen pictures of beautiful Kenyan women. <laughs> and I think we'll do something for this search engine optimization. Remember, there was this whole saga about Google when you search professional hair versus mm-hmm. yeah. professional hair. And I, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But like, those are the kind of things that start tipping the skills. Because now when you start looking that up, there's more content to counter that. And I'm so here for that kind of clapback. Then there's always the everyday petty squad. You know, stay strong, fam. You keep us entertained. What up? <laughs> so funny. Yeah. KOT is... KOT forever. Yeah, you forever and ever. Prosper. May you prosper. Okay, so let us know... What do you think is missing from the African tech dialogue narratives? Why is that wrong or right? And what do you propose or offer instead? I'll, I'll paint it as wrong or right, but what... um worried about and I find myself thinking a lot about is where our value systems are and this attention economy that we're living in obviously means that if your name is not in the right places it's as though you don't exist 
And it's really, really problematic because then the lens we apply to see who's doing stuff in tech. Heck, um, it's really interesting when people ask me if I'm a woman in tech. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm a woman in tech policy. I don't have to be a coder. I don't have to be an engineer, the traditional STEM. I am a mathematician by tradition, but there's nothing of that except maybe strategic thinking that I'm applying to the space in tech. But you find that um, when people say, okay, women in tech, they try to look for the coders and the engineers, and that's fine, absolutely. But our attention systems and our value systems, they need to be recalibrated. And I think this is global, really, but we've adopted some things that we've not thought about. I am here for the maintainers, as I say. So it's not just about the founder. It's the person they hire who keeps the lights on because, you know, they're taking that person's $50,000 dreams to... <laughs> make them work with a $5,000 budget kind of thing. Mm. Um, the maintainers, the first hire, the person you know who's behind the scenes, who in this attention economy about being on a Forbes list may not be placed there, but is doing the hard work, the heavy lifting. I'm here for them. And I think it's really, really important for us to go beyond just seeing the entrepreneurs, but seeing the teams around them. I think a person, a leader of any shape or form is really about the team around them. And I think it's really, really important for us to start thinking about it. And even in a more tech building space, the companies, the startups, whatever, it's also something about just celebrating money raised as opposed to how much product has been sold. It's mm, problematic. It's going sure. to yeah, be, it's just going to shoot us down the road. I mean, it's just going to create this pressure for people to keep doing things. And I know we'll talk about hype, but like, then it becomes about searching for these unicorns, if you really use that Silicon Valley language, because we're not looking at whether we're creating value. We're looking at that very common and critical metrics, if you mm -hmm. will. It's not about your founder of a thing and M something. It's about what M something does for communities. So if we could recalibrate that, I think it would be really important. And so I think it's really very broadly around that. And I think once we figure out what the value system is here, mm -hmm. about how we review the space, how we talk about it, how we reward people, because there's so many people, and I must give them a huge shout out, who are doing things behind the scenes. They're not the founders, they're not the CEOs, but they are the people who make those dreams come true and remain alive and well and so i shout out to all the maintainers mm -hmm. any day any time yeah when it comes to forbes lists you already know my oh, my way of getting shout out to that. forbes <laughs> just just aim, saying to aim to be 60 under 60 60 under 60 the squad we'll, is strong we'll all exactly we'll all be fine <laughs> it's okay but i think that's an incredibly great point because you know going to all of these events and you know you see the coo you see basically you see the c-suite the c-suite or the founder mm -hmm. And you don't see the teams that do all the work, not to say that C-suite and founders don't do work, but the people that are staying up till two, three are on call all exactly. hours of the night. And what happens if you don't want to be in the spotlight? And there's that too. I'm, I'm very critical about silent participation. And I guess it's, again, the times we live in, the condition to see it's if you're loud, therefore, you're likely to be perceived as more powerful, as more intelligent. And what about those people who silently participate in other spaces, as you said, like you go to forums, what if I don't want to raise my hand and ask a question and I just want to participate in other ways? What are the alternative ways to participate? And so that's the kind of stuff I think about and look at how do we make sure that this creates environments where everybody can thrive? Because if we miss the mark with tech being inclusive, um, I really think that's it. I don't know what else comes. I mean, you know, they keep saying all these industrial revolutions, blah, 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 fine, whatever buzzword will come next. But this is it for me. I think that's why I'm also really really passionate about it that this is it we could get some 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 mm -hmm. really serious good stuff going on our terms mm -hmm. on these shores of ours so you know shout out again to the maintainers i'll say it every time mm -hmm. so pivoting just a little bit in terms of behavior on the internet um, how can people be better online and affect change so for example something you've discussed uh, expanding the definition of gender-based violence to include internet harassment mm -hmm. At the end of the day, anything that's happening on the internet is obviously an amplification of society as is. So I've actually just come back from a conference where this was a huge discussion. We, where was the conference? This was in Kampala, the Forum on Internet Freedom in Africa. It was really just a space to reflect about this from different parts of the continent. And when it comes to how we behave online, it's not going to be that removed from offline. So sure, people may feel there's some sense of anonymity, but it means deep down in their core, if they want to be vile, they were vile anyways. So solutions, and this is what I always say, is just that even the solutions for what we do in the space that is online have very linked to what's happening online. So some of the solutions are actually social and more, well, what are our moral values? So, you know, when you end up with somebody who's 
whole existence online is to harass somebody. What the hell have they been doing offline? It's probably something that was hidden and this is just a tool that has helped mm-hmm. them do it more. And so even any any interventions, whether they're at policy level, an M whatever app that will come to say, you know, you know, let's deal with harassment, this has to be a very critical baseline understanding about the internet and technology in general is an amplifier, it's a tool, it's a means to an end. So if society is already messed up, it's just going to translate that to the tool. Mm-hmm. So starting from there, it comes to now the space of the house, but this is the what really. Um, one thing that I love that happens every time is that the right of reply, and especially what social media has done, and I'd say specifically Twitter because it's a more public-facing tool, the right of reply is really, really powerful because... Um, and what is the strategy. right of reply? The right of reply is if I'm talking about Adidana and the internet. Mm. Adidana should be able to be on the internet and say that Adidana was being spoken about. So let's say a misogynistic person who could be male or female saying, you know, women should do this or women should be that. This is a place of a woman. The fact that there are women occupying the same space is one way to counter it. And I'm very, very passionate about people countering and their own voice and the amplification of voice, whether it's women, whether it's any other minority groups. Clapping back, it's really just that right of reply. Well, you're not going to just police me and not have me in that space. I'll be like, well, um, I'm here. I'm going to be counted and I'll be in the room. The internet is like bringing a folding chair if they haven't put a space for you <laughs> on the table. <laughs> yeah. And so um, keeping that as an option, it doesn't mean everybody will opt in because once you're faced with some sort of harassment in online or offline, we're all different. Our personalities are different, but having that option to f- push back, fight back, if you will, is really, really important. And one of the things I'm very keen on around on a policy level, even as we design interventions to make sure that that is respected and understood for the reclaiming power potential it has. Everything else is really just stemming from that core understanding. So to fix what's happening online, we have to figure out what the hell is happening offline. Just to kind of piggyback on that initial question, our listeners should know that Nigeria has quite a significant Twitter following in Kenya and around the world. Um, no trolls, I haven't bought any bots yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering, and like this is something that we all kind of experience, and I think especially classifying yourself as like an African black woman online, how do you personally handle um, trolls, harassment? What has been your process? It's varied. Um, I'm fortunate to either speak such geeky stuff that most people don't know how to, to clap back. To clap back. Like, but um, even on my rest days when I don't have the strength to, it's just making sure that I amplify the nonsense and just show that it's possible to use that tool. Mm. Because I've known so many people to be driven off of the internet. Yeah. It's terrible. And I'm, I think our existence online anyway is already a protest. So shout out to anybody who's protesting every day by still going back online mm-hmm. and having their views and, and staying strong. And so that's how I fight back first and foremost. Block, block, block. Any mm-hmm, day yeah. report the hell out of anybody who's misusing these platforms. Although Twitter is a bit slow. No, I'll, I'll grant them this now, um, especially if you report harassment or any forms of bots or any content that is actually violating principles, they almost have an immediate takedown policy. And this is because there's been a lot of pushback for them to do that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do happen to be involved with a speech and safety working group that advises them or what to do about this stuff and just to understand perspectives from different parts of the world so they don't think this is just um, an American issue or a European issue. It's a global issue. Um, They're not perfect, obviously. So many of these companies never thought this is where they would be. And so now they have to interact with the real-life threats Mm -hmm. that are happening on these spaces. So it's not perfect, but they are trying. Same thing with Facebook, Google. Everybody's trying. It's the less fun part of the work they have to do, but it's important. But for where it's possible, the first point of the just block the hell out of anybody who's giving you a, hell, a hard time. Um, and surround yourselves with people. Like It's the same thing that would happen if you are offline anyway. Try to reach out to somebody, even if it's offline, if you're feeling like this is actually getting to a point where you feel threatened. Many efforts are now happening to just even get law enforcement to take this stuff seriously mm-hmm. because the problem we have so far is perceptions that anything that happens on the internet is not real. But we're starting to see that law enforcement agencies are starting to realize that they need to do something, they just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's making sure that we have the right environments for this to happen. So I think it's just, my protest is just to remain online mm-hmm. and you know, occasionally take a couple of days off and just regroup. Um, there's the other kind of harassment where just Africa can harass you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what types of? 
just like dude like it, corruption every day like the news like that's a form of harassment our own continent is harassing yeah. us our own politicians are harassing us like in the sense of there's so much to be done to make sure that this continent starts working for its people. Mm -hmm. Like my pinned tweet is something that occurred to me one day and I was really frustrated and pissed off and I felt harassed by my own government is we were being told, you know, we must attract business, we must attract tourism. I'm like, but what happens to us? We also are from these shores. Why are we doing things? Why are we performing for others? When is it about us? When is it our economic plans are about us first and foremost? Mm -hmm. It's not about the investors we need to attract, the tourists we need to bring onto our shores. When is it just about us? You know, mm -hmm. that's that kind of harassment too, fam. Like that's also really. I like real. that tweet, and I also like the way you ended that tweet, which was to say that if you do the first two, right, the tourists and everyone naturally yeah. because if you're always performing, I always just sometimes one day we'll all have a, a rota where we go and either at the airport or whatever other points of entry and we have our sisal cuts ready so i'm expecting a rota anytime now because it's one time i mean we were also told you know must tweet positively about our country so we're being censored right and that's yeah. another form of harassment we're being told um one of the most interesting tweets i always see in every every fifth reply or mention i get will be about oh my god you're so negative and i'm like um this is my experience this is my truth mm-hmm if it is negative, it is not my problem that it is. It's something bigger we need to fix. And I, th I know that that's always the thing. So there's always the positive positivity. Mm. And that's another form of harassment. Like, dude, we're almost being told to live in a bubble that's not real. And so just connecting those, those spaces is really interesting for me. So again, the biggest protest and the biggest way to fight back has always been just to stay in the space. Yeah. To take the conversation in a slightly different direction, um, so you've been in this space for quite some time, and you've seen... I have digital white hairs. <laughs> I wanna, I'm sure there's an emoji for that somewhere. Uh, I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, do you think, and this is a loaded question, but do you think Silicon Savannah is overhyped? I personally really want to know the answer. And Your be thoughts. as like, diplomatic or not diplomatic as you would like. This is not a sponsored response. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nigeria and I approve this message. <laughs> I don't know if I do. <laughs> that's that's a really interesting question because hype. Whew, Lord have mercy. There are things happening. I'm going to try and be as diplomatic as possible here. Or not. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see where we end up with this response. Mm -hmm. The stuff that's happening, and I think the real, why attention started shifting to this Savannah space. Well, let's even just backtrack a second. We were Christian Silicon Savannah. It was not something that came naturally from us. So Silicon something or other already for me is all about this external locus of gratification. So we are named because we are the Silicon Valley of Africa. You know, kind of like how this, this naming is really interesting. Yeah. You know, when you're trying to describe a space, you must use a reference. It's, it's so the rude. Uber of It's the Africa. Uber of Africa. It's yeah. the, I don't know. The Netflix the face, of Africa. You know? Do we know who started naming Silicon Savannah? Uh, I think it was a time journalist or okay. an economist or something so not an african it was not an african hey but we were named and christened and we ran with it and i mean it was not undue attention it's just that like it all descended and suddenly we had for lack of a better analogy we were monkeys in a zoo yeah, to, to perform. perform yeah and having worked in IHUB, that was one of the most difficult things i had to deal with you know i just show up to work tra -da -da -da. you look up on any other day and you just find all sorts of cameras going off on you and you're like um what <laughs> Yeah. You know, the issues of consent. And obviously, if it's a more public-facing space, that's different. It's just, it's such a violation. So that attention, it's not that it wasn't warranted. Is it so much of it came, so people had to align. Some performed for it. You know, Madagascar, like, went in the zoo, the, the animals, and they know when to show up and start performing, that kind of setup. Mm -hmm. And now we're caught up in a space where the attention is still there, but there aren't enough performers, if you will. So mm. the moment... I discover another plug like this one. It is now the one that will change the future. And then there's language of revolutionizing. And I've written about this, actually. There are so many other loaded metrics to it and nuances to it. Who's giving the attention? Who's getting the attention more than others? Some apps are more revolutionary than others in that spectrum. So that's a very roundabout way to say that the hype is very loaded and nuanced. The people who benefited from it, so we're not going to downplay that. And they've had valid and valuable product it's just it's it's difficult i'm sure for others who don't get it um it creates a false value system i think and so from the very name silicon savannah just like 
Okay, you're going with it. All right. <laughs> and one of the most interesting questions I've actually faced out there is, so when's the next M-Pesa? How come we don't have the next M-Pesa? And my, my response always is, well, you've not turned off the spotlight since you put it on. And so people are busy just performing and hardly ever, or most then caught up trying to get that attention mm-hmm. so that they can play that card when they need it. And um, I'm sure if you ask other parts of the continent how they feel about it, you'll have a <clears throat> choice word. But that's as diplomatic as I am trying to be a tech diplomat here. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will send my business cards to whoever wants them. <laughs> I think you told that line beautifully. <laughs> <sighs> Let's hope I will not, shots will not be fired. <laughs> so to a more, I guess, personal question, yes. if you will. So you're trained as a mathematician. You did social media strategy for UNEP for various brands as well. Yeah. And as you alluded to a bit earlier, you had a a detour, if you will, uh, as a lead singer of an Afro pop band. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a detour. I think it was a necessary thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. Yeah. I think this podcast might be Hallelujah. our our necessary thing yeah. to do. <laughs> necessary noise so how do you as someone who has many talents many passions how do you keep a balance with everything that it is that you care about your work um the personal and the and the public as well one of the most important quotes i've ever come across is that the personal is political and the political is personal mm-hmm. and the day i really understood that was that um i'm born raised bred everything in nairobi and i'm very proud of it immensely because Sometimes you find that, again, in those value systems, it's as though you can only speak up if you've had that kind of, like, othering. Mm-hmm. So there are, mm. there are these spaces we have to go to to be validated. And so suddenly having another equal and opposing force that says, we also from here, we, 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 we're good, we, you know, we can mm-hmm. show up. It's quite a protest and a revolution for me because grew up being told, you know, you're really good in the arts, but you must focus on the sciences because that's where the future is at. And why I went into music, I think I needed to get it out of my system or do that because it was pent up energy over the years going through a very pedagogical system. It was all about being inundated. And um, I was actually in that system when now arts were completely just being removed from the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so the one space is to explore that. And so when I went to university, I always say as much as I didn't like being at University of Nairobi, one of the best things it did for me, I grew there because... I knew I didn't want to do what I was studying. I liked it, but I knew I didn't want to do it. I had no choice but to explore. So I always say, if that inspires somebody, for me, it just says, do both. You know, we're always told it's like this false dichotomy, arts or sciences, never both. And for me, it was just my own personal victory to say I can do both and run with them. I'm a better scientist because I was an artist. I'm a better artist because I was a scientist. It's just what it is. And now that I'm somewhere in that middle space, it's because of done both and not one over the other. And so how I balance that is not suppressing any side, but also being very true to myself to know what's feasible and what's not. So I learned early on that I was not going to be a good, uh, good in the attention spotlight space. I just want to wear a body, dude. <laughs> I don't want to just have to wear makeup all the time and perform on the camera, check, check, check. It was in the value system for me in the music space was incompatible, but I did it and I got that out of my system and I loved it. I loved those three, four years I did it. But they'll say, you know, you're Einsteins and others. I'm not saying I'm one of them, but hey, if I am, great. I feel like I was helping to reclaim a space where we're being told, be a scientist, but don't be an artist. Don't be, be, if you're being an artist, you're a failure. And so I try to bring both aspects. That means I'm very tired half the time because I'm trying to do a lot. But over time, I've learned just to channel my best. My thinking is based on those right brain, left brain thing, bring it all into everything I'm doing and then funnel it through whatever project or thing I'm doing and the outcomes are what they are. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious also about cybersecurity. So from the kind of the tech policy stuff, Mm. I know you were talking quite a bit about the assumption that like tech, more traditional tech around programming, you do really interesting policy work mm-hmm. in the tech space. Yeah. And so I we would love to hear your thoughts on is East Africa prepared for cyber attacks and more on cybersecurity? <laughs> so in the last five years, it's been a rude awakening for many countries really. And one of the most interesting things about internet policy specifically and internet governance is what's also happening at the global level mm-hmm. about moving the governance and the 
key resources on the internet from being managed by a US-based private corporation to being a global resource through a very boring one. This is not the part you fall asleep. People stay away. Stay away. <laughs> the part called something called multi-stakeholderism, which means everybody who represents different factions of societies involved in the governance of what is a global resource. So it started with claiming that the internet is a global resource and not a US yeah. governed type of space. And that's a very interesting realm of political nuances. Donald Trump himself has a few choice words about that, apparently. But because of that, what's also happening is it's really difficult to govern if I'm in Kenya and I commit a cybercrime and the person who's harmed is in another country, which laws from which country apply? And so there's been a really, it's a com- complete reconfiguration of how we understand laws and especially criminal law for mm-hmm. the cri- cybercrime specifically. Yeah. But when you think about cybersecurity, um, what's been really interesting to observe is how we perceive security already offline is what's impacting how cybersecurity laws are being governed. So in East Africa specifically, we've come at security from the aspect of crime, finding the criminals and not really protecting the people. Um, just think about our security laws. They've been very reactionary. That's also what's also happening with cybersecurity laws. They're trying to be reactionary to the cyber criminals, mm. but they're not trying to think of the other way. How do you make sure that the space is first secured to be safe, conducive for as yeah. many people as possible? And so a lot of the laws we're seeing... Um, are coming from that angle because they're realizing, okay, there's a huge risk. In fact, for governments, the real wake-up in East Africa has been when the government institutions themselves have been targeted. So like we've had yeah. this defacing of Kenya government websites. Then they were like, oh, snap, this is bad. It looks bad. <laughs> yeah. It was embarrassing. The laws have been really about chasing the criminals and very punitive, and that's, that's great, but it's not the only thing. When you talk about security, it's our people enjoying their rights. Mm-hmm. And so the work... Uh, myself and others are doing is trying to help policymakers understand how they can make laws that also cover that side. It's about protecting our rights online. It's not just about saying the fine for harassment is this. It's also about how do we make sure we reclaim these spaces even in law and policy. So granted, East Africa is trying to address these things from a regional aspect, which has been really interesting. But like this agreements that they're coming across so that um, the whole region has a conducive and uh, coherent sort of like policy space. Um, it's going to be really interesting, but now the big fight is how to make sure that they understand that security is actually about the enjoyment and right, of rights first and foremost, and about fear of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, My understanding of, so far in this world is it's all about how we understand the societies we want to live in. We've not had enough conversations about that, and we try and make them as technical as possible, but they really link back to that. So if your laws or your thinking or your government's thinking is about chasing fear of who will attack and all that versus protecting the rights of their people it does make for some very interesting sort of like tense spaces and that's where uh, spaces to infringing rights come across Mm -hmm. yeah so the u.s i know is giving up control of ICANN as of october 1st yep um so well first i guess maybe explain what ICANN is but also i would like to know what your thoughts are on on what that means for either kenya or the continent right so I have not had enough coffee, but I think (laughs) ICANN stands for the inter... Somebody Googled it already. (laughs) (laughs) Names and numbers. It's really basically the system that assigns... um, Naming, right? Naming of IP addresses. And I don't want to bore anyone. Google it, but it's fun. I'm sure they're fun, more fun videos about it. Um, But what that means is because it's been regulated and governed through a country in a very specific country context... And this is a global resource. It's been a power dynamic. It's a shift in power to say that they must be given up and others to come in. Now, um, because one of the more interesting things in the future, policy challenges of the future and the present is how do you assert sovereignty on the internet? Mm-hmm. Who gets to assign sovereignty? To right. whom does the yeah. sovereignty belong when you're on the internet? Is it the people, is it governments? And how do governments assert it? That's where the space of why governments, and especially African governments, need to awaken to what's happening with ICANN and IANA transition. Again, too many acronyms all about this transition process of making sure this is governed globally. It's curious. Now, we are in Africa, many countries now moving past thinking that internet is a nice-to-have into a must-have. And so how they have a people who are starting to engage at those levels is just starting to emerge. So I think we're not doing too badly in acknowledging that. There are thinkers, thankfully, now in the spaces, especially with many government spaces, foreign ministries and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. who have no choice but to be engaged in this. Now, how they engage going forward and make sure that 
the policies that are reflected on the internet as a global resource trickle back down and vice versa. That's what I'm to tell, but we'll be there agitating to make sure y'all continue enjoying the internet. <laughs> That's a plan. Well, thank you very much for being our first boss lady expert. Boss it was so nice to up. have you. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, so how can people who are listening out there uh, find you and support your work? Aw, I hope they'll want to support it. It's not too boring, I promise. Um, <laughs> it's really important. Like, <laughs> it's really important work. Um, you can find me. I occasionally write stuff on Nanjira.com. Find me noise making over at Twitter. I am at Ninanjira. And once you find me there, we can take the conversation to whichever other public space it is. But the most important thing I can ask anyone who's benefiting from the internet is to occasionally spare a minute to just look at how this behind-the-scenes stuff works. Um, appreciate the work we do because somebody's working very hard to make sure that you keep enjoying. So the biggest mistake we could ever make is allowing people to tell us that the internet is not a priority because we have food and water problems. It's the most condescending thing I've ever heard in policy. Mm -hmm. Why should African governments think about internet policy when we have food and water problems? The most important thing I can ask everyone to understand is that the internet is like a public good like anything else. And it's not about a trade-off. We must not allow ourselves to be told that as Africans, we must have one over the other, that we can't have everything. We can't have privacy online if we want security. We can't have... It's not a race to the bottom. You know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not about... We can't have the internet because some people don't have food. It is a resource over which the future is being built. So we can't afford to think of it that way. So unlearn what you've been told about Africa and just strive for excellence. The truth is, as I always say, it's not that we're poor. It's just everything is mismanaged. So... If you understand that, we'll get along just fine. <laughs> thank you, well, thank so, you so much. much. Oh, well, thank you, ladies, for making me talk about my life. And I think that's all good. <laughs> Over and out. Over and out. All right. So thank you so much to Nigeria again for spending some time with us today. We really so awesome to have boss ladies in our space. And our first one. What? What? It's like a real show now. It's a thing that has a thing of its own. It's a thing of a thing of a thing. Speaking of our thing, the Africana proverb of the week. Week, week, week. Like my arms. Also, shout out to anybody from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area who knows where the week, week, week reference comes from. Shout out to you guys. So this is not exactly a proverb, but there was a recent hashtag, hashtag 100 African myths, which was quite entertaining about the various superstitions and things that we were told as children. And there's one that I particularly liked, and it's also a good segue into episode four. So, <clears throat> the Africana proverb of the week slash 100 African myth of choice is, quote, if a knife falls to the floor in an upright position, a tall man is about to visit, end quote. I like visit to get married? I mean, I'm pretty what does sure. This mean? I'm pretty sure this is in a positive manner. Okay, excellent. Well, I'm like not the the Grim Reaper <laughs> showing up at your door. Yeah, because I don't really. I mean, the knife imagery is a bit odd, uh, but I've made it a positive because it's my new thing. I'm being positive <laughs> in this episode. Turn that frown upside down. <laughs> and I think it's better sounding that way, and it's also easier for me to use it to segue to episode four, which is going to be. The dating episode. Stay ready because then you don't have to get ready. <laughs> so to all of our listeners who want to share some of their dating stories since they've returned to uh, the continent, please uh, send us a note on uh, askafricana at gmail.com. That's ask as in A-S-K, Africana, A-F-R-A-C-A-N-A-H, at gmail. And we will read out, you know, your experiences that you've sent to us via email. It's going to be like... I cannot wait. I am so stuff. excited for the dating episode. Our stories alone... Between the two of us. ...are good stuff. And imagine so, multiplying from across the continent. So we, we really look forward to it. So yeah, let that... Um, well, maybe not the knife itself, but let the proverb keep you warm um, on a cold night. <laughs> if, <laughs> I'll repeat it. If a knife falls to the floor in an upright position, a tall man is about to visit. I hope that tall man is Idris Elba. I'd be fine with that. Uh, where's the knife? He's kind of sloppy, though. Oh, stop. Come on. Be positive. Uh, no, but he is sloppy in his personal life. Ugh. It's not It's not about that right now, okay? I'm trying a new thing. Work with me. Yes, here. yes. Idris. Yeah. Or Michael B. Jordan. Same, same. Whatever. Now we know your type. <laughs> well. <laughs> so I have the honors of doing this week's vote of thanks. Woo-hoo! Episode three. We made it. Done. 
So we would like to give a big shout out to all of our listeners. Um, we'd like to give a particular shout out to uh, Nanjira Sambuli for being our first boss lady and speaker extraordinaire and really explaining the internet to us. I'm doing my Hillary shimmy. Shake, shake, shake. Dun, 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 dun. If you don't know what that is, guys, go Google that. There's, yeah, there's many, many there's memes There's many about memes and GIFs or GIFs, however you say it. Go for it. Next, I'd like to thank the Nest Collective. We're so proud of Tuko Macho and all of you. And so keep, keep on keeping up with incredible work and exposure for Kenyan film across the world and the continent. So next, we would like to thank Victor Marithi for all of our branding and our editor, Maimuna Jallo. Woo-woo! Thanks again, everyone. Thanks to you, Adidana. We made it episode three. Oh, wow. I'm getting a vote of thanks. Thank you for the vote of thanks. <laughs> we need to go. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about, that's about, that's the cue of like, it's time to wrap this up. Until next time, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. Woo-woo. All you Android users, you can listen to us there. And we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to slide directly into our DMs. On Twitter, Instagram, at Africana, and on Facebook, at Africana Podcast. (laughs) Bye, guys. Have a great week. Bye.